Welcome to Magnificat Proclaims, presented to you by Magnificat, a ministry to Catholic women. Whether this is your first time you've listened to our program, or you have been with us many times before, we are delighted that you have joined us. I'm Donna Ross, your host for today's program. We pray that today may be a special day in your life as you experience through the personal testimony of our featured guest, the presence of Jesus Christ among us. He is alive and well. Magnificat, taken from Luke chapter 1, is the great hymn of praise that Mary prayed while visiting her cousin Elizabeth. Both women had been deeply touched by God. Elizabeth was bearing a long-awaited child. Mary was carrying within her womb the very Son of God. They came together to help one another, to speak of God's action in their lives, to sing, to pray, to share a common faith, and to be strengthened for all that was to come. Like Mary and Elizabeth, we want to come together in God's presence and proclaim the Almighty has done great things for me and you, and holy is his name. This Magnificat Proclaim series features Catholic Christian women who have shared their testimony at one of the many Magnificat chapters hosting quarterly meals around the world. Typically, this three-hour gathering provides opportunity for a shared meal, fellowship, communal praise and worship, personal testimony, and intercessory prayer for the needs of the church and of those present. We trust that these testimonies will help each of us come to better understand that we are truly children of God, made in His image and likeness. We are daughters of the King. It is my pleasure to introduce Father Renero Cantalamesa. Father was born in Escoli, Paseno, Italy. He was ordained a Franciscan Capuchin priest in 1958. In 1980, Father Cantalamesa was appointed by Pope John Paul II as preacher to the papal household in the capacity he still serves. His official duties include preaching retreats to Pope Benedict XVI, members of the papal household, and Vatican officials. He was a member of the International Theological Commission from 1975 to 1981. In 1979, He resigned his teaching position to become a full-time preacher of the gospel and has written several books. He is considered one of the greatest spiritual educators of our time. Once again, it is my privilege to introduce Father Renero Cantalamesa. Well, they asked me to share my personal testimony, which I do with pleasure. My personal testimony has to do, of course, with religious life because I am a religious priest. And it has to do also with the charismatic renewal. But I don't intend to convince you to join necessarily the charismatic renewal. Only this has been the way the Lord has led me to a new life, a new understanding of my ministry. So take it as my personal testimony. If my testimony tells something to you, challenges you, then try to discern if the the Lord is calling you also. The important, of course, is not so much to join one particular movement or or spiritual experience. The important thing, which is important for everybody in the church, is the new Pentecost. This is the grace, the special grace the Lord has reserved for this very difficult time of the church, a new Pentecost. John 23rd asked God for a new Pentecost. And God has answered this prayer, and there is a new Pentecost going on in the church. So every, everyone is invited to enter into the synagogue. Maybe for some of you, today is the day of Pentecost. Yeah. 
So let me tell you my personal story. And in, in the context of my personal story, I will certainly speak about the two main topics there to my heart. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Well, I was born, as you have just heard, in Middle Italy, right the year after the, the, the end of the, the war. I entered at a college, a seminary of the Capuchin Order, but not yet decided what to do in my life, whether to study and then go, go out or to continue in this line. Three months after my uh, entering the seminary, we had the first retreat in our college. And for the first time, I could listen to the beautiful truth of our religion, the love of God, eternal life, the gospel. And listening to these meditations, I perceived that the Lord was calling me to become a Franciscan, a religious priest, with, with such a clarity that I could never doubt after that of my calling. It was so clear for me that the Lord call, called me to be, to be his disciple full time, full heart in a Franciscan uh, style. I even said to my fellow companions, this is the biggest grace the Lord could uh, even afford us after the baptism. I started my formation, which lasted many times, maybe more than 15 years. Then uh, after my ordination, which took place in 1958, in October. Does this, this tell you anything? <laughs> what a joy to celebrate my 50th anniversary, priestly anniversary, with so many, so many. <laughs> oh. So you see, after my ordination, I was sent to Switzerland to graduate in theology. I graduated in theology, specializing in the New Testament, the fathers of the church. And then my superior sent me to the University of Milan to specialize in classical literature, Greek and Latin, in order to, to deepen my knowledge of the, the Bible and the, the fathers of the church. Uh, after graduating in literature, they uh, asked me to remain at the university, and uh, I, I became a professor of this university, large university in Milan. And I was very realized, very happy. My superiors also were very proud to have a, a fellow Capuchin at this position. I was even head of the department of that university. In um, 1975, a lady whom I accompanied in her spiritual journey came back from a, a retreat in Milan. And he said to me, you know, I have met very strange people there in this house. They, they pray, clapping hands, raising hands. They even speak about miracles happening among them. As a, a wise spiritual director, I said to this lady, you never go again to this retreat house. <laughs> and she obeyed, but as, as women do, she didn't give up easily, so she started inviting me to, to know these people. And uh, one time, she invited me in Rome to a prayer meeting, and I was there very, very critical. So some, I was a traditional Catholic priest formed before the council, so uh, I was afraid of every novelty. Uh, so I was there rather critical. The, the leaders of the group knew that, and they said to the people, don't go to this particular priest, he's an enemy. <laughs> so be careful. <laughs> but people, seeing a, a priest among them, would come and ask for confessions. And hearing these confessions was the first stro stroke in my life. It was as if the Lord was regularly shaking me, because I had never met such deep, 
and true repentance. Scenes seem to follow from the, the, the soul of these people like stones, and at the end, great joy, tears of, of joy. And I had to say to myself, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. For the first time, I understood what Jesus meant when he said, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convince the world of sin. So these people were really convinced of sin, convinced interiorly. And, and then I started reflecting, and so there, were, there was something which attracted me because uh, teaching history of ancient Christianity, I could see that what was going on among these people was very, very similar to what was going on in the first Christian community. Corinth, for instance. So I, I was fascinated. Uh, at the same time, I was taken back. So I gave a course at the university on the first charismatic prophetic movements in the early church, trying to understand something about that. While I was in this position, and people of the renewal in, uh, kept inviting me to give some teachings. And again, a lady, another lady. You, you will see how many ladies are in my life. <laughs> but thanks God they have played a positive, beautiful role in my life. So I'm very thankful to the, our sisters. A lady in Milan offered four tickets, all included, to come to America, to Kansas City, to attend a charismatic uh, ecumenical rally in, uh, back in 1977. And one of these tickets, uh, after being offered to many other people, was offered to me. And I had to come to America to start learning English. So I said, well, it's a good opportunity. I will accept this ticket, <laughs> go to my Franciscan friar in Washington, study English, and then after, a, after all, in a week, we'll be all over. So I uh, attended this charismatic reel. There were 40,000 people. By any chance, is there anybody who was present in Kansas City? Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> Uh, there were 40,000 people, half Catholics and half for any other Christian denominations. Uh, <clears throat> I was there, something attracted me, something uh, didn't really, I was unprepared to, to, to receive. But I remember one evening, a leader took the microphone and started uttering some very strange words, in, in my opinion. <laughs> he said, you bishops, you pastors, you people mourn and weep because the, the body of my son is broken. Again and again, you lay people, men and women, mourn and weep because the body of my son is broken. Little by little, I started seeing people falling on their knees around me till all this huge crowd was a single assembly sobbing and repenting because of the divisions in the body of Christ. And all this, while there was a, a phrase written electronically against the sky, Jesus is Lord. For me, it was a prophetic vision. And I said to myself, if one day all the Christians shall be reunited in one body, it will be like this. When we are all on our knees, repenting under the Lordship of Christ. This was the moment when I conceived this book, which uh, Life in Christ, which uh, earlier on was entitled uh, Life in the Lordship of Christ. It was a discovering, uh, the, the beginning of a discovering of the Lordship of Christ, which is a world apart, a world apart. And I wish today the Holy Spirit will lead many of you to this new world, the world of the Lordship of Christ. Why is this title of Jesus so important? In fact, St. Paul says that nobody can say Jesus is Lord 
unless he is or she is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You are saved. You have already entered the world of salvation. So, do you want to help me letting this beautiful kerygma resound in this hall? Then, then, uh, learn these two very short phrases. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Second phrase, God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. Now, at my first sign, you shout at the top of your voices, Jesus is Lord. And at the second, at the second sign, you shout, God raised him from the dead. Ready? This is not a joke. It's a, this is a proclamation of faith. It's a kerygma. You, you know what kerygma means, uh, literally? The cry, the shout. Not any shout, but the shout which proclaims the core of the mystery, the death and the resurrection of Christ. So, ready? If with your lips you proclaim that Jesus is Lord, and in your heart you believe that God raised him from the dead, United States were saved. Oh, the Lordship of Christ. This was the beginning of any evangelization. At the beginning, this was. The, the Gospels were written, written later on to explain this very simple, dense uh, nucleus. Jesus died for our sins. He rose again for our justification. Therefore, he is Lord. It is so important, this title, because when you say Jesus is Lord, first of all, you are proclaiming the whole Paschal mystery. You proclaim that he died for our sins. He rose again. Therefore, he is Lord. And secondly, when you say Jesus is Lord, you are taking a decision. Hmm. Not just uttering a truth. You are taking a decision. The decision of your life. Because it means we receive you, Jesus, as our Lord. We surrender to you. We submit to you. We proclaim you are the leader, the meaning of my life. You are the one who has any right upon me. So you are really choosing your, 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 your destination, your decision. According to St. Paul, when a person really from the bottom of his or her heart proclaims Jesus is Lord, this moment divides life into two parts, before and after. In the life of any person, there is a moment, an event, which divide, divides life into two parts. For you, married people, this is usually the marriage, before marrying and after being married. For us priests, this is the ordination. So usually we divide our life before my ordination, after my ordination. For St. Paul, there is a single event which really divides life into two parts. Before knowing Jesus as my personal Lord and after knowing him. Read Philippians chapter 3. Well, St. Paul says what uh, he used to be before, Pharisee, born of the uh, uh, tribe of Benjamin, uh, Pharisee, uh, and what he was after. After he discovered the supreme advantage of knowing Jesus as my Lord. But uh, when we speak about the Lordship of Christ, we should always um, uh, distinguish, because uh, Lordship is, a, for us, not so, a word so, so positive, so sympathetic. We immediately think about dominion, oppression. No, the Lordship of Christ is something very different, very different. He died for us. He died for us. Usually, uh, people in power sent their servants to die for them. Jesus went to die for us. We should always keep together, Lord and friend. Lord and friend. He is our Lord and our friend. Well, this was the moment when I started discovering this beautiful, liberating world of the Lordship of Christ, in, to which I invited everybody. But I must say that ashamed. 
you, you, can you believe I still was very neutral, very critical, very about the people, of course, not about Jesus. <laughs> so much so that when this crowd sang the, this beautiful song, the story of Jericho, lift high the banner of love, Jericho must fall. My fellow Italians who had come with me from Italy, at that point, nudged at me and said, listen carefully, because Jericho are you. Jericho are you. Uh, there was the refrain, Jericho must fall, Jericho must fall. Listen carefully, Jericho, are you? <laughs> and Jericho fell, not immediately though. After that, we went to a retreat house in New Jersey, in Convent Station, and there was a retreat there. Uh, I was decided to leave uh, and join my Franciscan friary, but an Irish priest, uh, to whom I am very much in debt, invited me to stay to stay, and I said, after all, this is, not, this is not a house of prostitution. If I stay, it won't give me any, any, do me any harm, so I will stay, Lord. I will give you this last chance to convince me that really this is your, your, your work. So I started attending this, this meditation. This was in 1977. I remember a detail. One day we were in a prayer meeting in a hall, and still in my mind there were some objections. I said, but I am already a Franciscan a religious priest, uh, what I am waiting for, what can these people give me that I don't possess? And especially there was a phrase going on in my mind, I have already St. Francis of Assisi as my spiritual father. At that moment, again, a lady opened the Bible without knowing anything, of course, and started reading a passage from the Bible. And it was the passage where St. John the Baptist says to the Pharisees, don't tell in your hearts, we have Abraham as our father. I understood that the Lord was answering my, my, my thought. So I stood up, I spoke no English, I spoke Italian, but everybody seemed to understand. And I said, Lord, I will never again say that I am a son of St. Francis of Assisi, because I realize I am not. So, and it, if it is uh, necessary to receive this grace of the baptism in the spirit, to become a real, true son of St. Francis, I accept. I started preparing myself to receive this baptism in the spirit, which is very simple. People praying over you for a renewal of your, your baptism, your religious uh, profession, your entire spiritual organism. Huh? Uh, later on, I tried to deepen this, the understanding of this, this uh, baptism in the spirit, but it is something very, very, very simple. After all, the, the expression has not been invented by the charismatic renewal. Who invented the expression baptism in the spirit? Jesus. Speaking to his disciples before leaving them, he said, you shall be baptized in the spirit in a few days. What happened in a few, a few days later? Pentecost. So it's quite clear, quite clear. But in the spirit, it's not really but in the water. It is this release of the gift of the spirit, this coming of the spirit. And I started preparing myself. Let, share, let me share another detail. Uh, while I was attending this retreat, one evening I was working in the park and the Lord spoke to me through an image as he very often does, eh, to interior images. I saw myself as a man upon a chariot, holding the reins of the, the horses. And I immediately understood this was an image of my, my life, as a person who wanted to be in control of his life and decided what to do, where to go. Eh? At a certain point, it was as if Jesus stood up, up uh, beside me and very gently said to me, do you want to give me the reins of your life? There was a moment of panic <laughs> because um, I understood that this was serious. 
But at the same time, I immediately realized that no, no one can be in control of his or her life. We cannot decide where, where we are tomorrow. So I said, yes, Lord, take the reins of my life. Being a man Catholic, I must also make a confession. Later on, I tried to get back this rain sometimes. <laughs> but this is, this is why, this is why we, have, we have such a merciful Lord who is always, always ready to, to forgive us. So uh, the, the day came when they prayed over us, and all the prophetic words spoken at that occasion uh, upon me spoke about a mission of evangelization, of preaching, uh, where texts of Paul being set apart to, pre to bring the gospel to the kings and nations. One person said, you will experience a new joy in proclaiming my word. So by nature, I am not really a joyful person, no? quite, quite contrary. But whenever I proclaim the, the, the word of God, people say, there is a joy coming, going out. Uh, this is realization of this prophecy. In my program on the Italian television, my best tool is precisely my smile. And people sometimes say, we don't pay so much attention to what you say. It's enough, <laughs> it's enough your smile, which is not a compliment, of course. Well, uh, there was a moment when they said, uh, uh, now choose Jesus as your personal Lord. This is part of this uh, experience, uh, choosing Jesus again. Uh, as our personal Lord in a free, uh, conscious way. You know? Realize that to confirm, ratify our baptism by saying a, 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 a free yes to the Lord. At that moment, I lifted up my eyes and I met the crucifix, which hung upon the altar. And again, the Lord in a flesh spoke to me. He, the, the meaning of, was this, be careful. The Lord you are choosing as your personal, Jesus you are choosing as your personal Lord, is, is not an easy Jesus. It's me, the crucifix. And this helped me because still I harbored some doubts about the charismatic renewal being too much emotional, too, too superficial. At that moment I understood that the work of the Spirit leads you straight to the core of the Gospel, which is the cross of Jesus. And so this dispelled every doubt. I received the grace. Nothing dramatic happened during my, my prayer, my bath in the spirit. The day after, I took the aeroplane from Newark to Washington. And on the plane, I started realizing that something had happened. Some change had, had happened, had occurred. When I opened my breviary, you know that the religious people have the liturgy of the hour, maybe many of you know. Uh, when I started reading the, the Liturgy of the Hour, the, the Psalms seemed to be written the day before for me, especially. <laughs> so I realized that the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is that the Bible becomes a living book, which speaks to you. It's the, the channel of the voice of God. And how many times later on I had confirmation of this. Only the Holy Spirit really can explain the Bible, can l l uh, let you perceive the voice of God in the Bible. And I, in this synod, this year is the, the, day of, the year of the Word of God. And I gave my meditation to the papal household in Advent and Lent on the, the Word of God, and I stressed very much this importance of the Spirit, a spiritual reading of the Bible. Otherwise, the Bible becomes just a book, a book, and people studying the Bible can not, not just in, not, not increase, but lose their faith. One, let me share one uh, testimony about this 
point, how the Holy Spirit can lead very simple uh, people to uh, understand the, the, the voice of God. One day I was preaching a, a, a mission in Australia, and a, a person, a worker, came to me the, the, the last day saying, Father, I have a big problem in my family. We have a boy of 11 year, years who has not yet, yet been baptized. The problem is that my wife, meanwhile, has become a Jehovah Witness and don't want the, the baptism to be mentioned. So if I baptize the boy, there will, there will be a case. If I do not baptize, I am not at ease with my conscience because when we married, we were both Catholics. We promised to raise our children in the Catholic Church. I said, let me reflect tonight, come tomorrow and we shall see. The day after this, mo this man came to me and I could see he was very relaxed and said, Father, I have found the solution. I was relieved because I hadn't found yet. <laughs> and he said, Going home yesterday, I prayed for a while. Then I opened the Bible. And I happened to read the passage where Abraham takes his son Isaac to the immolation. And I have seen that when Abraham takes his son Isaac to the immolation, he doesn't mention anything to his wife. <laughs> he, the word of God, the word of God had led him to the best discernment because even the Jewish, uh, Jewish interpretation points to this, this uh, fact that Abraham didn't mention anything lest uh, his wife would prevent him from obeying God. I baptized the boy myself, it was a great joy. <laughs> so to see how really the Holy Spirit open, opens your eyes to the real intelligence, not just philological, historical, uh, which is important, but it's just the first step. The goal of the Bible is not to provide us with a, a very beautiful document of ancient culture, Semitic culture, no. God revealed the Bible to, to strengthen, to share his life, to, to convince people of his love, love. Well, after a while, I reached my friar in Washington, and I had a third confirmation, prayer, a new desire for prayer. Prayer had been rather difficult in my life, but now I was attracted to the church, to the chapel, at most, almost at every hour. And the prayer acquired the Trinitarian dimension, which is the real shape of Christian prayer, which means that the, the Father spoke to me about the Son, that Jesus spoke to me about the Father. Each person of the Trinity seemed to be eager to, to reveal the other, this Trinitarian life, which is the, something unique, unique. Christian prayer is something unique. It's, it's a, big, a big mistake to think that we can learn, yes, we can learn technique, but the essence of Christian life is something different. It's not just a creature speaking to his or her God on the other side of the line. It's God praying in you, because prayer in the Spirit means that God is praying in you. So it's God praying to God. It's a divine way of prayer. We have in ourselves the very source of prayer. And we go around to, to, to learn how to pray. We should dig deep down and found the, the, the fountain of, of prayer, which is the Holy Spirit living in us. After three months, I came back to Italy. These were my three months of honeymoon. <laughs> honeymoon. Three months. I don't know if in the marriage the honeymoon lasts longer. Eh? I hope so. And people who had known me in Italy were, as you may imagine, very, very, very surprised. They said, what a miracle. We have sent to America Saul, and they have sent us back Paul. <laughs> I started joining these simple people, sharing their prayer. 
I remember um, one day we, I was praying in a prayer meeting, and I was, was um, inspired to, to utter this strange prayer, Lord, do not allow me to die as a retired university professor. I didn't know why, <laughs> but a few weeks later, I understood the meaning of this prayer. I was praying in my, my room, in my friary, and the Lord spoke to me again through an image. Nothing, nothing supernatural, no visions, but this way of God of communicating with his creatures, which is deeper and, and very much more, much more strong than the exterior communication. So uh, it, it was as if the Lord Jesus passed in front of me. And it was precisely the Jesus as uh, when he came back from the Jordan and was about to start preaching the kingdom of God. I don't know why, but uh, for me it was clear. It was uh, the Jesus uh, uh, when he came back from the Jordan and was beginning preaching the kingdom of God. Passing in front of me, he said to me, always in this, in this interior uh, way, if you want to help me in proclaiming the kingdom of God, Leave everything and follow me. As a Franciscan, I was supposed to have already left everything. <laughs> but no, no, I was very rich indeed. I was very rich, honored, respected by the students. You know, students are very, very respectful uh, toward professors, eh? especially a few days before the examinations. <laughs> I was rich. And I understood the Lord was saying to me, if you want to help me to proclaim in the kingdom of God, Leave your teaching position, leave your academic position, leave everything, and become a, an itinerant preacher of the gospel in the style of your father, Francis of Assisi. This was what I understood. So as a religious, uh, I couldn't act just on this interior uh, inspiration. So I went to my general superior in Rome, who was a man of God. And I said, uh, I think the Lord is calling me to change completely my, my life. And as any superior or any bishop, he answered to me, let us wait one year. This is the classical answer. <laughs> classical answer all superiors give. Eh, to... A very wise, very wise answer, in, in, in fact. So I continued to teaching for one year. And th this is the moment when I discovered the, the, the gift of obedience, not the duty, the gift of obedience. It was obedience who saved my calling. Because in this year, everything became blurred, obscured. I didn't know, I was afraid, what, what shall I do? I, all my life I made research, just pre, uh, preached uh, homilies on Sunday. Uh, then I discovered the importance of having somebody in the Catholic Church, your bishop, your religious superior, your confessor, your spiritual director, anybody who represents objectively the will of God for you. Because this is the way you can be assured that your personal inspiration comes from the Lord. And in fact, after a year, I came back to my, my superior. We prayed together. And he said, yes, it is the will of God. And uh, go, uh, he uh, gave me permission. I went to my rector of the university, so I took uh, a license, uh, leave. And I made a retreat to prepare myself for this new ministry in, uh, in a small friary in Switzerland. And there I discovered something very precious, which I could call a new Jesus. A new Jesus. Christology, which means that the doctrines about Jesus, had always been my, my main uh, object of specialization. I had written uh, my thesis on the Christology of Tertullian, and Christology, the, the, the Christ of Paul, of John, etc., were my, my uh, main specialization. But at that moment, I discovered there was another Jesus, 
a living Jesus, a recent living Jesus in flesh and bones, not just a, a, a compound of doctrines, of dogma, or a, a person of the past which we can remember or even sacramentally uh, make present. No, a different Jesus. The same, of course, but in a different way. The Jesus which is uh, close to you, which is in you. And what helped me was especially a passage in the uh, letter to the, the Philippians where St. Paul tells his own experience. And as I mentioned, he, he says what used to be before, what he became later. And he ends this section by saying, I have done all this. I have left aside all my assets in order that I may know him. Lead, reading in Greek, uh, I found the, the, the pronoun eauton. So this pronoun, personal pronoun at that moment, meant for me more than all the books I had written or read. Because I understood that when Paul says that I may know him, he means a real person, somebody with whom you can speak, you can share, you can uh, share everything. And I conceived a great desire to know this Jesus as important. In fact, later on, any time I comment upon the, the account of the Pentecost, I am very much impressed by this point. When the apostles received the Holy Spirit, you remember, huh? They were all together like this, smaller synagogue, but uh, there was a wind, a strong wind blowing. And the wind, you know, is a symbol of the spirit. So the apostles started preparing for something special because uh, this sign, this exterior sign of the wind uh, was accompanied, of course, with an interior grace. The Lord was preparing them for Pentecost. Huh? And, um, you know, the wind shared the same name with the spirit in Hebrew and, and Greek, Ruach. No? Then there was a sign for the eyes. They saw something, tongues of fire. Again, a very, a very meaningful sign because the fire and Holy Spirit had been associated all the time. No? And then there, there comes the reality, the essence of Pentecost. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean they were all filled with the Holy Spirit? This must have been not just a, an idea, a new a new insight of the Holy Spirit. No, this must have been an earthquake. Because after this moment, these people are completely changed. So something must have happened. In fact, unfortunately, we read this passage, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and we, we, we go over without realizing there is an abyss beneath this, this word. What is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a personal loving God. No? Do you agree? It's the personal love, which means that God, the Father, and the Son love each other, and this love is so strong that it's a relationship, it's a person, it's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is love, personal love, the fountain of all love, all love. Imagine how, how popular, how decided, how eager we, we, we are about love, how many experiences of love we have in life. Well, the Holy Spirit is the fountain. All the la love we, we know, we experience in life are just sparks of this Furnace. Now, to say that they were all filled with the, the Holy Spirit means that they were all filled with the love of God. They made an overwhelming experience being loved by God. <laughs> Let us imagine a young person who discovered that the, 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 the girl whom he loves and desires loves him. The world changes. Imagine now people that are filled with the love of God and feel that they are loved by the very source of love. This is why I don't like very much the traditional representations of Pentecost. 
you, you have your, uh, in mind the usual representation. The, the 12 apostles are around the table, very quiet, uh, the crossed hands, and looking in the void. So, you know. uh, no, I don't think the Pentecost was like this. There is a picture, a representation of Pentecost uh, coming from a young church in Africa, which I, I think is closer to, to the reality. There you can see, first of all, the, the setting is very poor. It's, it's an African, uh, an African art. And then the apostles are, some are covering their eyes because of the excessive light. Some are raising their hands. Some are embracing each other. There is just one person very quiet. And you can imagine who this person is. It's Mary, because for, for, for her, it was not a surprise. She had already had that Pentecost. So, <clears throat> Uh, but for the apostles, no, it was a revolution. Any time a person nowadays experiences a new Pentecost, the first, the first, the most important, most enduring uh, feeling of that is the love of God. Last year in England, there was a consultation <clears throat> on the 40th anniversary of the Charismatic Renewal in the Catholic Church, and the survey was distributed before. Uh, there were people from uh, England, uh, Scotland, uh, Wales, and Ireland. And one question in the survey was, what, is, what do you think has been the greatest blessing you have received for the, the Holy Spirit? And almost the unanimous answer was, for the first time I understood what it means to be loved by God, the tenderness of God. A lady said, I had lived all my life with this bitter feeling of not being loved by anyone, and not being able to be loved by anyone. At that moment, this feeling disappeared and never came again. Something incredible, this experience. But uh, it is St. Paul who explains Pentecost in this way. It is not me. Romans 5.5. 5. The love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. This is a description of Pentecost. A shorter, not a narrative, a shorter description. But this is Pentecost. Pentecost is the love of God, which means the love God has for us, not our love for God. This comes later. The immense, divine love of God has been poured into our hearts. This is what Jesus meant when he said, you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, to be baptized at that time, in the language of Jesus, didn't mean to shall receive a few drops of water upon your head. It meant you shall be fully immersed in the water, because baptized means to be fully immersed. So what he meant is, you shall be fully immersed in the life of the Trinity. And this is Pentecost. This is Pentecost, my dear brothers and sisters. Do you start desiring this? Because if you desire, really, with an expectant faith, this gift, you will receive it. Because there is a formal promise of Jesus. If you who are evil can give good things to your children, how much the Heavenly Father will give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Right? So I, I started, uh, uh, I said, uh, I, I had a new understanding of Pentecost because after that, after receiving the, the Holy Spirit, the apostles went out and they started proclaiming Jesus in such a way that 3,000 persons were cut to the heart. I, and I imagine it was precisely at the moment when Peter, in the, in the power of the Spirit and the anointing of the Spirit, pronounced the name of Jesus. After giving some explanations uh, uh, how these people are not, uh, not drunk, 
after giving very in a hurry these explanations, St. Peter attracts the attention, says, men of Israel, listen to me. Now listen to me. And then he pronounces a name, Jesus of Nazareth. And he wants to be sure that they understand what he's speaking of, because many of these people had forgotten Jesus or didn't know Jesus at all. They were there for the Feast of Pentecost. So he tried to remember, do you remember this man who went around you doing well to everybody? And when he's sure that they, they are aware, he says, you have killed him. You have given him to, to the uh, evil, to the pagans. You have him crucified. But be at peace, God has raised him. So the whole house of Israel must know, today people would have said that the whole world must know that God has made this Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. You see, the first fruit of the coming of the Spirit is a strong proclamation of Jesus. This day, the apostles understood who Jesus is, who Jesus was. That they understood that because of what had happened a few weeks before, the world was no longer the same. It was a different, a saved world. Lordship. And the same happened to me. I discovered, after receiving the baptism of the Spirit, I discovered this new Jesus. I am not finished discovering him because you never finish discovering Jesus. Oh, it's, it's impossible. But it's, it's so sweet, so enriching, so fulfilling to know Jesus that I recommend to you to, <laughs> to start this, this inquiry. To start this inquiry. Do you love Jesus? Yes. You don't know how much Jesus, um, Jesus uh, is, is happy when people proclaim that. So why don't shout, we shout, uh, being together, believing people here, uh, why don't we shout, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, yes. we love you. <laughs> well, well, I was preparing myself for this new ministry. When a phone call came from Rome, again, it was my general superior, who said to me, the Holy Father John Paul II has appointed you a preacher to the papal household. Do you have any serious reasons to say no? <laughs> uh, honestly, I tried to find the reasons. Uh, uh, I didn't uh, find uh, serious reasons, uh, except a uh, certain excitement. So I had to prepare myself in a few weeks to, to preach my first Lent to the papal household. Maybe it is good to, to share something about this strange ministry, eh? because people, in any interview, people seem to be really surprised, amazed. The Pope listened to the, the sermon of a priest. Uh, yes, yes. He, he gives a tremendous example of humility and uh, respect to the word of God. There, there is a ministry, an appointed a fixed ministry in the Vatican, called uh, Preacher to the Papal Household, which uh, in the last centuries has been uh, <coughs> given to the Capuchin order which consists in giving a meditation each uh, Friday morning at 9 o'clock to the Pope, his secretaries, the cardinals of the Roman Curia, the bishops, the prelates working there, and the general superiors of the religious orders. About 60 or 70 people are there. Or oh, listen to this uh, Pope, cardinals, you may imagine oh, this is a very threatening audience. You are a much more challenging audience. <laughs> uh, I started my, this ministry, uh, and I still am in this position, 
no preacher lasted so long in the history, 29 years, which, uh, which, uh, which uh, accounts for the heroic patience of the last popes. Eh? <laughs> well, the pope never misses a sermon. Even when he was in, in bad health, he always would, would come to listen to the sermon. Only one year, he, he missed two Fridays because he was traveling around uh, Central America. And when he came back the next Friday, he came straight to me, apologizing for having missed two sermons. Oh. And sometimes I say to the people, did you ever go to your parish priest apologizing for having missed the homily of the last Sunday? <laughs> Uh, the Lord maybe appointed this simple capuchin priest to go there after he received the, the, the grace of the new Pentecost, because this has been an occasion to let this grace, which is going on at the grassroots of the church, resound in this moment, in this art of the church. And at the same time, it allows me to share with my fellow brothers, wherever I go preaching, the concerns of the, the, the hierarchy, the concerns of the, the Pope and, and the institutional church. So it has been a big blessing in my life. Once a year, the sermon is delivered in St. Peter's Basilica. It's on Good Friday. It's the only occasion when the Pope presides over a liturgy but doesn't speak, and the papal preacher is supposed to, to climb the papal order and to give the homily when the Pope, the cardinals, the diplomatic body, and all the people are there. So the first time I, I was supposed to give this homily, I realized that I had to speak very slowly, because there was a resounding in the Basilica. Speaking slowly, I lasted 10 minutes more than I was supposed to. And the man in charge of the, the schedule of the Pope, as a bishop, uh, was quite nervous and very often looked at his watch. Eh? Because after that, uh, uh, the Pope must preside over the way of the cross on the Colosseum. And I didn't see him, but, but later on, the day after, this bishop uh, said to some sisters what had happened after the liturgy. After the liturgy, the Pope, John Paul II, called him and smiling said to him, when a man of God is speaking to us, we should not look at our watches. <laughs> Don't look at your watches. Well, in, uh, am I late? No. No. <laughs> you should not look at your watch, but the preacher should. Eh? <laughs> well, in 1989, uh, the, the year where all the communist regimes collapsed, then, uh, I was, uh, <coughs> giving meditations on the Exodus, on Moses leading the people out of Egypt. And everybody uh, thought that John Paul II was the new Moses, leading his people of native Poland and other people out of the slavery, the communist regime. Uh, one, in one sermon, I quoted this beautiful uh, Negro song, go down Moses in Egypt land, tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. Of course, I, I intended to apply this song to John Paul II. After the sermon, I met him as usual, and he was impressed. He said to me, oh, how beautiful, you are right. Let go, my people, let go, my people. I had to correct the people in his English. Let my people go, holiness. <laughs> oh, yes, let my people go. <laughs> and after starting this ministry at the Vatican, little by little, my ministry extended. So I left the university, of course, in. Uh, 1980, and I started being invited to preach to bishop conferences, to the clergy, retreat to the clergy, many dioceses. Once or two, twice a year, I come to the United States. Seems to be a special relationship with the United States and me. Uh, and and I, feel, I feel indebted because I received my new birth here in, in America. So I go around the world on preaching every time. I, 
One place where I have been invited many times is the Holy Trinity Brondon in England, where the Alpha course started. And I remember one, uh, one day giving a retreat to this Anglican community, I felt, I felt obliged to give a, a sermon on Mary, the Blessed Mother. It was a challenge to give a, a teaching to our Protestant brothers. I presented Mary uh, starting from the Gospel. It was such an experience, people crying. I heard a lady during the day telling to another lady, don't mention what we have heard this morning, otherwise I start again crying. <laughs> it was simply a, a healing, healing about Mary, presenting Mary as it is in, his, in her journey to the Golgotha, as the first believer, as a, a woman close to, 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 to the women. It was really healing. Well, uh, but um, being invited to preach so many, so many uh, settings, this is the first time I feel myself in front of such a setting, <laughs> women. Because men are, we are men invited, we are guests here. Women are the real members of this, of this <laughs> assembly. We are invited, we are guests. And I will take the opportunity to pay homage to the women, as I did in one sermon two years ago on Good Friday in front of the Holy Father the importance, the role of the women in the gospel. Jesus chose the women to be the apostles of the apostles. I am always impressed by this fact. In the Bible, we find many invoices. God telling to somebody, go, go and speak to my people. He says, go to Moses, go down Moses in Egypt, to Isaiah, go and speak to my people. Many, 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 uh, till the last uh, invoice to the apostles, go into, all these are directed to men. All these go are addressed to men. There is only one go addressed to women, and it is maybe the, 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 the most beautiful of all. The, it, it's a go, go Jesus pronounced the morning of Easter when he said to, to the women, go to the apostles, my disciples, and said that I am, I am alive. So, dear sisters, women, I dare in the name of Jesus to, to repeat this, this, this invoice. Go and tell the disciples of Jesus, the priests, I know you have a role to play toward the priest. You love your priests, and your love is very important, very important. Even humanly, because priests are celibate, they need a, a sane relationship, not based on flesh and blood, but this kind of relationship God had in mind when he created man and woman together. What a marvelous plan God had, had in mind when he created man and woman. He wanted that people in, in, on earth reflected what happens in the Trinity. In the Trinity, there are two persons loving, loving each other, the Father and the Son, and the love sprouting from them, the Holy Spirit. He wanted that on earth, this be repeated in many, many different ways. Man and woman loving each other in marriage. Um, father and son loving each other, father and son, mother and daughter, friends. Even always two people, when two people love each other with God in the middle, something happens which uh, reflects, uh, is a sharing, in, in, in the Trinity. So you see what a marvelous project God had in creating man and woman. We have spoiled this project. St. Francis and Claire, St. Francis, uh, whose feast we, we celebrate today, are an example of a relationship, a relationship close to what God had in mind, being man and woman a help for each other, not a, an enemy, not a, 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 a trap. So let me address to you at the end of this, this uh, sharing, a special call to women. Be the apostle of the apostles. The world needs you. Jesus needs you and Jesus loves you. Receive the Holy Spirit to be really apostles of the apostles. Thank you for your patience and goodbye.
Well, we certainly hope you have enjoyed Father Renero Cantalamesa. And for more information or a copy of today's broadcast, please write us at Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. Once again, Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, zip code 92859. And for some of you, it might be easier to call. So feel free to call us at 800-500-4556. If you would like to have more information about the Magnificat ministry, including a location of a Magnificat chapter in your area, you can call 504-828-MARY. That's 504-828-MARY. Or visit the Magnificat website at www.magnificat.com ministry.org. On behalf of Magnificat Proclaims, this is Donna Ross inviting you to join us next time as we present more personal testimonies from our inspirational Catholic speakers. Remember, Magnificat Proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you in his peace. See